This is the Krill cast, and I don't know why I keep clapping in the videos. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. I was hoping that with that break, you'd stop doing that. <laughs> like, it would just, like, leave my system. We'd be all yeah, good. Exactly. Will's back. Mm-hmm. What you been up to, Will? Working. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is a topic that comes up quite often, and, and it is the topic for what day of the week is this, Will? It's a magnetic ASMR for all you mm-hmm. that love it. In case you're wondering, the reason why my camera is so low is because if I tilt it up, the background starts to freak out. Why don't you just show everybody? <laughs> okay. I want to give everyone seizures. Oh! You... <laughs> Anyways, um, there's a rumor that Apple is going to be creating another gaming console. And a lot of this stems from the fact that they launched Apple Arcade. They're in a huge lawsuit with Epic Games. It's just a lot of insane things going on with Apple in the realm of gaming right now. And mm-hmm. a lot of these rumors or uh, these the speculation is pointing towards some kind of an Apple gaming device. Now, they don't know 100% what it is, but here are some of the facts. Apple's reportedly taken a liking to the Nintendo Switch, of all things. With its rapidly growing Apple Arcade service, Apple's ramping up for something potentially big to compete for a larger chunk of the gaming market. Apple's reportedly working on some kind of a handheld gaming device or console, potentially a dockable console like the Nintendo Switch. All right, now here's some of the things that I have towards the speculation. Apple builds mm-hmm. their own chipset, the M line of chips, the M1, the M2, right? For all of their laptops, um, they're working towards putting in the desktops, putting in the iPad, putting in probably the phones next. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But this M line is is extremely efficient. Um, it does everything system on a chip uh, as far as gaming goes. So it's got a GPU, CPU built into one chip, and it's very powerful. So there's no reason why you couldn't game on it. Like h- harder gaming, like like even like Fortnite's kind of more demanding than some of the other games on PC. Um, and then the fact that the Apple Arcade has been very successful despite being locked into the Apple ecosystem with the iPhones, iPads, mm-hmm. Apple TVs, Mac computers. It, it's like one of those charges on your credit card you don't even think about. It's five bucks a month. Like it's like immediately ingrained itself into a ton of iOS users thing. And they got over 170 games in there. Ocean horn two is in there. It's a really good game. Um, Apple previously revolutionized industries in the past, like the iPod in 2001, the iPhone in 2007, the iPad in 2010, then the Apple watch in 2015, AirPods in 2016. And which of those markets aren't they already the juggernaut, right? The iPad is like the only entertainment tablet. The iPhone is the, the de facto smartphone from the beginning. I, uh, I don't agree with this. I think iPhone is terrible, but I'm not saying the iPhone is the best device. I'm saying that when you think of a smartphone, the first device, so. the first, the first device that pops in your head that's iconic is the iPhone, right? The iPad is the best tablet, bar none. Um, AirPods. I remember when the the iPhone actually first came out, and I was thinking this is the dumbest thing ever because it, you know the whole the draw of the original one was the fact you had all of your Apple Music on it, and I don't know. At the time, I had the Razer, uh, Verizon Razer flip phone. And you can get like the V music, and then that was that was enough for me. That was totally fine. <laughs> Let me finish what I'm saying here. No, so the most successful <laughs> the most successful product in each of the lines that they compete in, the iPod was the most successful and is still the most successful dedicated MP3 player. The iPhone is the most successful singular device on the market. The iPad is the most successful tablet on the market. The Apple Watch is the most successful smartwatch on the market, and the AirPods are wildly popular. I have a set. I'm I'm not even the type of person they're aiming for with that, and I love them. So, like, with Apple Arcade existing, the service existing, 
Um, I would not be surprised if Apple launched some kind of a gaming device internally. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it'd be Mm -hmm. just like something where you can dock your phone and play games on the TV, or if it would be like an Apple TV upgrade where you'd game on your Apple TV directly. I don't know, but um, I'm curious to see what it is. And if it is like some kind of Apple ecosystem arcade system, I would be interested to see if it was something dockable like the Switch. I mean, they got the lightning connector on the bottom of every iPhone. Mm-hmm. It'd be easy to just have like some kind of dockable gaming machine that upgrades the internals of the iPhone with an external device, like this, a la the Switch dock, like that. You know, Apple Gaming, boom, plug your phone in, you're gaming. Like, <laughs> okay, that yeah. could be it. But who I guess knows? is it going to be like a machine that plays the Apple Arcade only? Is it something that's going to be like mostly like the mobile type games, or are they actually going to attempt a bunch of first party games? Or are they going to buy some studios so they have some existing franchises? I love how these companies like to use the Apple Pippin as the image for Apple's considering releasing a gaming console. Yeah. It's like, well, like we were saying before, it's going to be this is the new one's going to be the Apple Frodo. So. <laughs> I would buy that. It was called a Frodo. I'm not going to lie. Only if it has Elijah Wood's face on it. Yeah. Like, like the special edition. This is just better, his face. Yes. Yeah. And they better get all of the Lord of the Rings games on there. Every single one. Mm-hmm. They got Star Trek. I mean, come on, man. If, if Amazon can build a series of of uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings style uh, or Lord of the Rings universe uh, TV series, then why can't Apple have Lord of the Rings games on their mm-hmm. system? Anyway, that has nothing to do with it. So do I think that Apple could be successful in the gaming market? Well, the Apple Arcade is a pretty obvious uh, success story, but will they expand it? I don't know. So I don't know if it'll be successful or not, but Apple is very dominant when they actually launch into a market. There's very few devices Apple has launched that have failed. Let's put it that way. At least Mm -hmm. since Steve Jobs came back the post-Steve Jobs era has still been successful. Yeah. The problem with this is that they would actually have to produce their own content for this to be successful, whereas every other item that you have in this list that's successful, other people make the content. So like the iPod, that's successful because other people are making music. The, the same with like the iPad has the apps, but they're not making the apps. Um, I, I don't think that's true at all, Will. I think it is. Why would Apple have to internally produce anything they just exclusively why would you buy it epic games is got a huge install base and they did absolutely none like other than fortnite what has epic games actually produced since they launched epic game store other than buy exclusivity deals all right so i mean i don't consider it the same thing at all they're not producing hardware that's just a launcher right so apple arcade right now is essentially just a launcher yeah, it's, so it's, we're it's, talking about an actual gaming device. That's my point. It's, it's a completely different beast. Well, what if they just sell you a $100 device and essentially $5 a month Apple Arcade? I don't know. That wouldn't appeal to me at all because I guess I could still just play on my computer. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to have to – I think you're right about that. But I think what you have to do is they have to have something like the iPhone that you can dock on a TV and just play. Because right now yeah. the Apple TV, it's good. I like the Apple TV. I game on my Apple TV. I'm probably very one of the very few people that do that, but it's because I can do remote play of Steam games. Mm-hmm. I can remote play my Xbox One on there. I can even remote play some Sony stuff on there. So, like, I might be in the boat of people that actually game on an Apple TV, and I'm, like, in a small group of people that do that. But um, 
dedicated gaming on the Apple TV is not where it should be. I will say I loaded up Oceanhorn 2 on the Apple TV. I have the non-4K, just 1080p version, mm-hmm. which is the like two generations back Apple TV. And it stutters a little bit with Oceanhorn 2. I do believe the 4K one handles it just fine. But, um, I mean, if I'm only two generations back and it's stuttering on Oceanhorn 2, that doesn't say yeah. a lot of good things about apple's capability with the tv so maybe like Mm -hmm. i said we might be seeing like some kind of an upgraded apple tv that does gaming because you know they're not going to release physical games apple will never release physical games what it will be is all digital distribution via their already existing giantly successful app store yeah it'd be stupid to launch it any other way i think it i think it's potential that they will make one i think it could be successful it just at the moment (laughs) without like having any hard facts on it. I don't know what would be appealing about it. I think it would depend on how they launch it. Like if they say, all right, for $20 a month, you get the Apple arcade plus the gaming console that could appeal to people. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, that's what Microsoft's doing with the Xbox series S. I mean, who's buying an Xbox series S and not taking advantage of the game pass subscription. Yeah, but think about what games you're getting with that. That's my point. Like, they're going to have to really ramp up what they're making. So that it's not, I mean, Oceanhorn is great, but you keep bringing up that, like, one game. And there's maybe, like, three on Apple Arcade that are good. Well, they've just launched NBA 2K21 Arcade Edition. So they have an NBA game yeah. on there. They got Star Trek Legends, which is apparently, like, a, a Star Trek RPG, which is pretty cool. They got Fantasian, which is an RPG. They got um, Cut the Ropes, like, whatever. But Oregon Trail's on there. So they've, they're picking up some bigger named games on yeah, the Apple then, Arcade you know, service. Xbox has all of the Xbox games, Bethesda, all of the ESPN games. Not ESPN. Um, why am I blinking? What's the... Sorry, what's, oh, MLB what's the, big the gaming Show. Company? Oh. oh, they have MLB The Show too, I think. Yeah. So I, the, let me get back to what I was saying. The reason why people would do this over Xbox Live is because you don't have to buy a new device to use Apple Arcade, right? You already have an iPhone. You already have an iPad. You already got an Apple TV. This is for people already in the ecosystem. It's probably not for you. Technically, you can do that with Xbox now, too, with Game Pass. You can, and I've got the beta, so I've been testing it. It's pretty nice. But what I'm saying is if you're already in the Apple ecosystem, it's like a no-brainer. Like, oh, an extra 5 bucks a month? Yeah, that makes cool. sense. So I guess if Apple launched a gaming console and you could get it under an Apple subscription that you're already paying for, I think it'd be wildly successful. Look at Apple Music. They switched to a $10 a month subscription service. Everybody complained for two months, and now everybody has it. <laughs> That's yep. what Apple does. They, they like launch these products that are wildly convenient, and you complain about it when they first do it because it's wildly expensive, but then you get to the convenience factor, and you're in. Yep. It's just like when they launched the new iPhones without the headphone jack, and then they sold you the AirPods. And I actually like the AirPods way better than <laughs> a hardwire connection, so they won. They beat me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um... That's all I got to say about Apple and potentially launching a game and console. So as always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And we will see you on the next Curlcast. Bye, guys. It's season two, baby. This is the Curlcast. I'm Chris and Will is back. I'm Will. Yes, yes, you said that uh, yesterday, Chris. <laughs> well, if you missed Monday, now you know. No, and today no one is... ever misses Monday. That's the best day.
And today is the um, second Troubled Tuesday, since we've switched away from Tuber Tuesday, which was actually our most popular segment. So it was kind of a dumb idea, but we'll just keep going with it. It's all good. <laughs> um, and so today for Troubled Tuesday, it's I don't know if it is troubled or not. Well, I guess we'll find out when we talk about it. But Bioshock 4 is rumored to be open world. The uh, Bioshock Say 4... What? The Bioshock 4 job listings are heavily leaning into the rumors that Bioshock 4 might be an open world game. Lots of games in the past decade have evolved, evolved or devolved, in my opinion, into mm-hmm. open world games. But a lot of these transitions have proven to be very costly and uh, angered a lot of the fan bases, while also exciting new people to the franchise. But mm-hmm. um, overall, I think it divides and segments the population of people that are playing your game between new and old. And a lot of your old fans probably aren't going to migrate to an open world because they're used to linear worlds or they like the atmosphere of the old games. And, uh, for example, Assassin's Creed. I have not played a single one of the new Assassin's Creed games, but I actually quite like the old ones. Mm-hmm. So I fit in that, that realm of possibility. I just find, my me personally, when I play an open world, there's too many things to do, and I just don't want to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like open world games if they're done correctly. With Bioshock, I'm a little worried that they're not going to be able to nail that atmosphere. I mean... Uh, I actually have not played the third one yet, but the first two, like the underwater atmosphere, and you hear like the the ambiance of like whales going by, or the creeks and the groans of the tubes that you're in. Um, I just don't see how an open world could really, really work with that atmosphere, unless there's like you know an open, I don't know, I don't even know, like an open world swamp or something, and you go into different areas that like would be considered like dungeons almost. And those ones are the those are the areas that give you the the atmosphere that people are used to. Yeah, like for example, I agree with you. This atmosphere would be very hard to recreate in an open world. I, it would be cool to be in Rapture pre collapse and actually yeah. explore Rapture. Like I would totally go through like visit Rapture and watch how the events unfold. That'd be kind of cool. But true open world, I just don't see how you do it with Bioshock. I mean, you can still do it like like this, where it's just like this underworld city, but instead of having loading screens or artificial doors that keep you from seeing like unloaded parts of the game, it's all open to you from the beginning. Uh, so that like that that could be the the quote unquote open world that they're going for, where you're just, like essentially nothing has a load time because yes. the processing is finally the processing power is finally caught up with the original vision of the creators. Yeah, so like you can go anywhere in the in the city. You go um, backwards from where you were to yes, exactly. revisit places. Like I don't think isn't Bioshock kind of lock you out of the previous area. You still can backtrack. Okay, but there's definitely like doors and stuff you have to open, and there's there's definitely areas where clearly like you go in the elevators and stuff, and there's clearly these areas are meant to be like like loading and things are loading in the background. Um, so like maybe you could have those sections be more open. And like the other thing that bothers me about open world is everything is called open world, but truly is it open world if there is a sandbox, right? In my Mm -hmm. opinion, the only true open world games are things like No Man's Sky, where there literally is no limit. Yeah. And then when you look at like this, it's more of a sandbox. You are within the bounds of the map they've created for you. There's, there's not limitless and not truly open. And I don't think Bioshock would work well that way. If you have an enclosed space that's open for exploration, I could see this working just fine. Mm -hmm. Like, I would love to accidentally walk down a hallway that's flooded and like, oh, you're dead, drowned. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
or like but have it where it's not an instant kill and like you could actually get yourself out of that situation turn turn the yeah close the door back up yeah <laughs> not like uh tomb raider where you make a mistake and all of a sudden you're spiked on a pole oh, yeah i know like violent deaths in that game or like the bear eats you and like what the? <laughs> i was like whoa this got deep um mm-hmm. and then the other thing I would like to see is, uh, you know, take a wrong step in Columbia and fall off the uh, fall out of the sky. <laughs> yes, that'd be cool. Uh, but I think I've talked to Skyrion about this already. I would love to see not open world, but open timeline where you can do some of these time travel events Ooh, more. That would be cool, and you can jump between the two cities in different alternate realities. That's awesome. what I want to see. Yes, like maybe you could stop the fall of Rapture somehow. Like if you could have like a decision based open timeline bioshock game that would be cool that would be actually i, I want that game <laughs> <laughs> like that would be cool but uh open world i'm kind of against it i'm open to the idea of it uh bioshock's a really cool atmosphere and a really cool mm-hmm. environment to play in i've only played the first game and the third game i've never played the second game i've heard that's actually the best in some people's opinion and also the worst mm-hmm. in other people's opinion so yep typical so that, there's that, but um, yeah, Bioshock could go open world, and I'm not sure how to feel about that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, every time I, I see that term, I get a little bit worried about it, but it's like when they said Halo was going to be open world, I was like, oh boy. But then it, I guess it's just like, like large expanses, and there's like open sections, so it's a little different. It's an open ring world. It's a different thing. <laughs> exactly. There's only so far you can go left and right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently you can push things over the edge, though. That's exciting. I want to see this now. Yes. As always, if you have nothing else to say, I'm Chris. And I'm Will, and I don't have anything else to say. (laughs) And we will see you on next Krillcast. Bye, guys. This is the Krillcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And, and is, what is it? Wild Card Wednesday. And for Wild Card Wednesday, um, this is really my topic, and Will is just tagging along for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something I feel very strongly about. And hey, uh, I'll, Chris, uh, I have an opinion too. Okay. Okay. I'm I played l- this game in Best Buy. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I, will lay, I will lay it out for you. Okay. The Infamous series needs another chance on Wrong current gen consoles. All right. I will. Lay this out for you guys. The Infamous series was absolutely one of the best series to debut on the PS3. With the PS4, a rush to market launch of Infamous Second Son, followed by a shorter add-on titled uh, Infamous First Light, which is technically just part of Infamous Second Son. It's like a uh, prequel to it, essentially, uh, for one of the characters of Infamous Second Son. Um, The series has severely diminished in popularity, and Sucker Punch has now focused on the hit game Ghost of Tsushima. Sucker Punch cannot do a non-hit game. Every game they make is is just pure gold. Um, Previously, they worked on Sly Cooper, Will. I bet you know Sly Cooper. Mm -hmm. And so... And they this left... just in, Xbox buys Sucker Punch. <laughs> no, they're a Sony. They're basically a Sony developer. Um, Sucker Punch has previously worked on the Sly Cooper series, and basically every series they've worked on has been pure gold, and then they abandon it. <laughs> and then they move on yep. to the next thing. So with the last release of Infamous being from 2014, and the PS5 being two generations past the original Infamous release, which was over a decade ago, which is really sad at this point, um, mm-hmm. Sony could re-release... Wait a second. With the last 
Oh, with the original Infamous release. I'm sorry. The original Infamous release is over a decade ago. Not every Infamous release. That'd be complete blasphemy because they had a yes. 2015 release. Okay. Um, at the very least, Sony could do a re-release or remaster of the original two games for PS5. And, yeah, uh, to gauge interest at the very least to see if there's still a population that would be interested. Because the game was really great, but it, it had some uh, some issues with the way it ran in the PS3 timeframe because the generation of the PS3 was not nearly as powerful as the PS4 and PS5. Mm-hmm. So um, the other the other thing is they did do a re-release of Spider-Man on PS4 and PS5 with the Miles Morales tagline. Mm-hmm. Um and there's no reason why they can't re- remaster or redo this game. It's on PS now, and it gets a lot of playtime. So why not re-release this series? Well, there's literally Make it nothing a little bit brighter, though. No, that's part of the atmosphere. You can't do that. It's so dark, though. It's it looks so, so much like a PS3 game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, the, the, when I watched a review this recently, uh, it was funny. Because this is the most PS2, PS3 game that exists. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> so there's that. So my thought on Infamous 2021, at the very least, please give us Infamous 1 in remastered HD on the PS4, PS5. I'll be super happy about that. Um, At the best, let's get another game in this series uh, starring Cole McGrath. I mean, it'd be so easy to put him in another game, actually. And I'll tell you how. They could literally take the story where he's the beast from the future and how he got there. And then you could change the events somehow or Mm -hmm. we introduce a conduit with the ability to time travel and you save cole mcgrath there's that you love time travel we were just talking about the last video (laughs) it just works so well. every game needs time travel pretty much why not especially back to the future four oh no don't say that again um i i just don't see why sony would leave this game in the dust i mean they do so well with superhero games spider-man is a blockbuster hit can you imagine if they gave the amount of marketing to the Infamous series they did the Spider-Man series? This game would be a super hit. I mean, who doesn't want to play with electricity? True. Cole McGrath is more interesting than um, uh, Delson, though. I will say that. The the main protagonist of Infamous Second Son is not nearly as cool as Cole. And I don't think very many people would disagree with me. Okay. Plus, electricity is I didn't even realize they're two different characters. Yeah, he is Delson. I can't never remember this guy's last name, but he's just not nearly. It's not nearly as um, heroic or interesting okay. as Cole McGrath. Cole McGrath loses. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but he loses somebody very close to him during the game, and that's kind of like kind of fuels his fall from grace, where you can either become a bad guy or a good guy. And I kind of love that about the Infamous series, where you can kind of be like a total like horrible person, or you can be a really, really, really. Uh, good protagonist and it's not based on any decisions you make necessarily it's based on the fact of whether you kill civilians or not for your own gain like Mm. every kill of a civilian is like a a step towards the dark path (laughs) that's the only path (laughs) and it's the other thing that's funny is if you totally give into your powers as a bad guy like your powers are way more violent and way more powerful than if you are a good guy (laughs) it's like I've played it both ways It's, it's super fun either way there's that um there's a fable moment you know like at the end of fable where you make the choice between saving the many or the few or like yes. just taking the money well the money thing's not there but you can choose to save the many or the few there's a, a decision in there for that and uh it, may, it did remind me of fable it was pretty cool mm, cool and the other really cool thing about this this game is the comic book aspect of how they tell a story 
I love yeah. the comic book aesthetic for telling a story. It's so much fun. I always like cutscenes that look like comic book panels. I love this. It's like literally one of my favorite things about Infamous because I literally feel like a superhero in a comic book. Mm -hmm. And he's omnipotent with electrical powers. What's not to like? Exactly. One of the few games I platinum was Infamous 2. Infamous 1, I'm still working on. I'll get there eventually. <laughs> love this game, though. Love this series. Love this game. Currently playing through Infamous Second Son for the first time. I did eventually get a copy of Cole's Legacy, which is extremely difficult to acquire if you're in the U.S., and you didn't have this game on release. Infamous Second Son, Cole's, Cole's Legacy is not an easy DLC to get. Um, okay. If you live in Europe, no problem. Just pay $3. You get it. <laughs> get it on PSN. There you go. Hmm. Anyways, Infamous, I want another game. Badly. I don't care how do you do it. it. Figure it out. Make Chris happy. So, as always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And we will see you on the next Krillcast. Bye, guys. <laughs> I wish I had like an electrical effect to put there. This is the Krill cast. I am Chris. And I'm Will. How's it going, everybody? And I'm talking as if I was being processed by the Atari 2600 like this game. <laughs> um, anyways, so this is throw, the throw, the Throwback Thursday. And mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about Breakout, 45 years later. the yep. uh, One of the OG games of gaming. And this game, you instead of taste the rainbow, you break the rainbow. If you're playing the Atari 2600 version, for sure. Maybe you are tasting the rainbow if you look at the screen. I don't know. <laughs> yes, that's a an added feature that the Atari Twenty Six Hundred had. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. <laughs> you remember those stickers? They yeah. still make those things. No, not really. Unless you buy like a specialized pack of something, like for nostalgia purposes. I don't think those are <laughs> things anymore. Like the legacy of Scratch and Sniff, though. Like you get a magazine and you look for a Scratch and yep. Sniff every time. Like, ooh, I wonder if there's. You remember, a Scratch like and they sniff they had the smellable markers. I yeah. mean, there's a whole generation of kids that huffed markers because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So. We're talking about Breakout, though. So Breakout is an arcade game developed and published by Atari Inc. and released on May 13th, 1976. Way this is a 45-year-old game. Okay? This game has kids our age. Maybe, <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. Close enough. Uh, it was conceptualized by Nolan Bushnell and Steve Bristow, influenced by the seminar, a seminar, seminal 1972 Atari arcade game Pong. In Breakout, as you can see ahead of us, a layer of bricks lines the top third of the screen, and the goal is to destroy them all by repeatedly bouncing a ball yep. off of a paddle into them. The Atari VCS port was released in 1978. That's the version we're looking at here on the screen. Which oh, it's used... so satisfying to get it up top and have it bounce like that. Oh, I know. Yes. You're like, it's doing the work for me. Yes, yeah, so it's right. like an instant high. <laughs> <laughs> which used several color graphics instead of a monochrome screen with a colored overlay. Breakout was the basis and inspiration for certain aspects of the Apple II. So we're talking about Steve Jobs here. The mm -hmm. sequel, Super Breakout, became the packing game for the Atari 5200, one of the worst consoles ever released because the controllers never worked. Um, and that was in 1982. And while the concept was pre-dated pre pre by Ramtech's Clean Sweep, um, Breakout spawned an entire genre of clones, and it was released before the Ramtech's Clean Sweep. 
And 10 years later, the concept found new legs with the uh, Taito's 1986 Arkanoid, which spawns several dozen imitators. Let's see if we can find Arkanoid. Okay, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Like a more Look up the version way. that's on the Game Boy. Okay. The OG Game Boy. Maybe it was like Brick Blaster. I'm not sure if it was called Brick. Yeah, Bri- Brick Breaker is uh, one of the ones they did. Alleyway, about. that's the game I'm thinking of. Mario was in this. Really? Yeah, he's a little dude that hops in the tube. Hmm. He runs out in the very beginning of the game, gets in it. Just, just for the giggles, I guess, huh? Yep. Just because of Nintendo, that's all. It's the same game, but it's clearly a lot slower. I think the like the further you get into it, the faster it goes. If I remember correctly, I can find it. Alleyway. Sure, it's not Super Breakout. No, you're not sure. I'm pretty certain that the what I had was Alleyway, but it's the same game. Yeah. Yeah. So Breakout's been around forever. I, I actually really used to enjoy playing this on... I had a BlackBerry they had it, and I had an iPod Touch they had it. Or I, mm-hmm. iPod um, Video, 5.5G. The uh, the first iPod that had video on it, I had this. I had a version of Breakout. It's called Brick Breaker. And I'm pretty positive it was on there specifically because Steve Jobs worked on this game. Hmm. I think I had it on my calculator. Yeah. My yeah. TI-86. It was like Snake in this. Yeah, pretty much alleyway classic game room wish they'd come back mm-hmm. see if we can find the the mar i want to see mario dancing on the screen so i want to see let's see what it does it just runs by i think he waves and then he hops in his little tube i want to see it though i want to see it there, he, there he oh, is oh yeah you're right he does <laughs> okay That's you're right it. you're totally right alleyways it so why is this game memorable? Why is it super um, popular and replayable t- even to today? It's because of that, right? What we just saw—the little ball bouncing on top of the bricks and like knocking out a bunch just by itself. Oh my gosh, it's instantly satisfying. It's like a euphoria for Will. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have to say, it's just—it's so the simplicity of it is wildly mm-hmm. entertaining. I mean, it's the same reason that things like Candy Crush have been wildly successful. It's because. It's easy to pick up and play. It doesn't take you hours and hours and hours, unless you're like really good at it. And then you're like, hmm, I might have a problem. No, um, But <laughs> yes. I think simple and addictive gameplay is what got us all into gaming in the first place. Mm-hmm. A lot of us that played games in the 90s, we didn't have the long, fantastical RPG stories that we have now. We didn't mm-hmm. have the insanely complicated gameplay. We had a simple well, we had to interface. Go and play. We had a simple interface where you'd roll a thing across the screen, and it was fun. Oh, the old the old Game Boy looks so terrible, but it brings back so many memories. I know. I mean, this this is just fun. It's just pure, unadulterated fun. There's nothing inappropriate about it. Any kid could pick up and play this. Mm-hmm. And I kind of miss this era of gaming, I'm not going to lie, which is one of the yeah. reasons why I pre-ordered the Television Amico, is specifically because of stuff like this, is just fun whoa i want that superpower (laughs) how did okay i didn't even know you could do that that's awesome i think it's just a special level where you 
destroy so. Mario. Yeah, Mario deserves it. He died on <laughs> the uh, 31st of March. <laughs> Anyways, if you've never played Breakout, find a way to play it. It's got it's it, pretty much everything can play this game. I'm sure there's a version on the Switch. It was on Xbox Live Arcade. I'm sure PS3 had a version. There's probably one on PS4. I bet you there's one on Xbox One even. This mm-hmm. game is everywhere. Your phone. Pick up your phone, download the game, try it. It's super easy to find. Try yep. this game if you've never played it. It's wildly fun. I still enjoy it. I Every once in a while, I'll find myself on my phone downloading the paid version I bought on iOS back in like 2012 and playing that and just hours go by and you're like, oh crap, I was supposed to do things today. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So, no anyways. need to adult today. <laughs> This is just, it's a classic, very fun game. Mm -hmm. As always, I am Chris. And I'm Will. And we will see you on next Curlcast. When we finally break out. This is the Krillcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And uh, if you're trying to watch this episode, you got to download at least three more pieces of DLC to get there. No, I'm just kidding. Yep. Today is All $30 each. Today is Friendly Friday. And uh, for Friendly Friday, what are we talking about today, Will? We're talking about whether or not DLC is a good thing and when or when not, or when is it not. More like, win or win not. No, no, no. Oh just, when is DLC actually good? Okay. At, at what point in the entire history of gaming has DLC been good? There's been lots of times when it's good. Exactly. So what to you makes DLC a good thing? Okay. One, so basically it comes down to does it enhance the gameplay is really the long and short of it. So does it enhance the gameplay and is it not outrageously priced? So something like Blood and Wine and Hearts of Stone for The Witcher 3, amazing DLC because it essentially just triples the length of the game um, or doubles it. And it was very reasonably priced for that. So it was, I think, 30 bucks when it originally came out, if I remember correctly. And that's cheaper than most, like, basically any game that was actually just that length. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was a great DLC. Um, and then things like, uh, sometimes, like, map packs are great. If it's only a couple dollars and you get a bunch of new maps. Uh, like, cosmetics can be okay. If you end up getting, like, a bunch of them at once for a couple dollars, that's fine. And it doesn't, like it's not a required thing in that instance. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, when it's not okay is when you get something like microtransactions and loot boxes, which technically is a form of DLC uh, where basically it's pay to win or it's gamble, essentially just gambling for children or like you have chunks of the game that are locked off from you. So you buy the game, you have the whole game on the disc, but there's huge chunks that are locked from you and you have to later purchase it, like Destiny, for example. Or I believe Dead or Alive 6 was really bad with this. Um, yeah. So the, and everyone knows the examples are really bad ones. Uh, there are some DLCs that are great. Free DLC, obviously, is amazing. Yeah. Um, the like getting horse armor for, what was it, $10? Is that what Bethesda was charging yeah, for? Yeah, that? that is insane. So dumb. And the thing is that it looks awesome. So, you know, a ton of people bought that. <laughs> um, DLC is good when it make when the 
it's actually an addition to the game and it's not just ripped out content uh where they already had it but they're like you know what we can make more money if we sell it back to you later so it's that's frustrating so i'm gonna add on what you said i think in regards to map packs i actually have changed my mind on map packs i don't like them and i'll tell you why i think a map pack in itself segments the population because not yeah, everybody's going to buy all the map packs. That's so why I, I prefaced that with like, if it's like a dollar or two, it's okay. But like, I, can I finish my thought? No, you cannot, Chris. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Go on. Sorry. <laughs> I like it better when they do season, a, like a like a uh, season pass, season pass for that game, and the season pass should be the whole freaking thing, not just like every year you get a new season pass, like. Halo 3, if they had said, all right, for 20 bucks, you get all the map packs going forward forever. I would have paid that because you ended yeah, up being like five bucks per thing. And then you only segment it in one way. It's like you either bought the season pass or you didn't. So you got people that only play the original maps and you got people that play all of the maps. Yes, I agree with you. That's a good idea. Because the way that it worked out with Halo 3 was oh, it sucks so some bad. people had some map packs. Some people had other map packs. And like when you try to play a match, and thankfully mm-hmm. there was so many people online that you could always find a match. But if Halo 3 had not been the runaway success that it was, can you imagine how much of a struggle it would have been to find a match? Mm-hmm. And I always get sucked, stuck in the same maps at that yeah. point because it, it was always Sand Trap or it was always... Uh, what is the one with the snow and the little cannons on the outside? I can't, I can't think what that one's called. Butter. Something like that. I don't know maps by name. I know maps by what they look like. <laughs> yeah. So that, in my opinion, was a mistake. I don't think that selling map packs is a good idea. I think if you're going to no. do that, you should sell a season pass, and that's it. I think that most people would be reasonable enough to realize, like, yeah, a game like Halo, a season pass is worthwhile. Because you get all the maps coming forward, and since they've mm-hmm. always been good throughout the history of time with releasing tons of extra map packs... That makes sense to me. So either you you release a season pass with map packs and you sell it sell it to the consumer that way, or you make all the new maps free, not, don't segment the population, and offer aesthetics as like a like a, a paid thing. Those are those yeah. two ways. I think that works. The second thing, um, DLC in my opinion, like true DLC should be like the encore to the concert. It should be something that enhances the experience. It's something you're asking for as the consumer. Like, for example, <laughs> if they offered an additional ending to Halo 3, it would have been really weird because there is nothing to continue on. So, like, it, would not have, it wouldn't have been an enhancement necessarily. You probably wouldn't have wanted it. Nobody was asking for it. Well, technically, uh, Halo 3 ODST was originally that DLC. It's going to be Halo 3 Recon. That's different. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was more of a set in... I guess what I'm saying is, like, if you're going to add on content at the end... I know what you mean. I'm just giving you a hard A time. side quest is different. <laughs> yeah. so I, I'm totally okay with them adding on side quests, but in my opinion, the side quests... It, it's hard, because I really like some side quests, but if they're not available to you when you first start the game, it's very difficult to convince myself to replay an entire game just to get a side quest I missed. Yeah. I'd rather it be like a standalone, like ODST releasing a standalone game, I think was a smarter decision. I will, I will say that one caveat to that is uh, Fable Lost Chapters changed like content throughout the game. That's a re-release and, of the whole game. Yes, but it's technically a DLC, I would say, because it's an add-on to the original game. Right? I would still consider it a DLC. Well, it, it, Fable the Lost Chapters is like what 
Persona 5 Royal is to Persona 5. Yes. It affects the whole game. It adds on pieces that uh, you would essentially have to replay the whole game to get to. Mm -hmm. And it was released as a standalone game. So in my opinion, the Lost Chapters cannot be the same thing as DLC. Well, if it was released now, it would be DLC. I guess at the time, you really... DLC wasn't really a thing yet. Well, Persona I mean, 5 even... Royal wasn't DLC. It was released as a full-blown bo- second uh, game. Yeah. Persona's weird, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that that type of release does still exist. What, what I will say about that is, if you're doing enough to the game, that it, it essentially is almost a new game, then I have no issue with you re-releasing it, especially since you have the choice as a fan to either buy the new version or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like with Destiny, like the Taken King was great, but that should have been the game from the beginning, and yeah. it was. I mean, like, like there's so many reports on it where they just ripped out all that content and then they sold it back to the DLC, which is just ridiculous. That sucks. That shouldn't <laughs> be the case. Yeah, that that makes no. DLC really bad. It gives DLC a bad name, but yes. like the Mass Effect DLC, I think, really enhanced the game. Mm-hmm. And then, good example, re-releasing Mass Effect the Legendary Edition or what I'm calling the Legend Daddy Edition. <laughs> um, with all the DLC built in, baked in, um, it's a huge savings for anybody getting into the series now. Because somebody like me bought all the DLC, all of it. It was, I think, it was like so sixty bucks per game. I think so. I spent, but I bought the um, the trilogy edition that was released on the three sixty. So like, you're already not paying. I think it was like forty bucks for that. So I got mm-hmm. all the games for forty bucks. But the DLC on its own, that was like an additional hundred plus dollars, if not more. Yep. So you're getting a pretty sizable chunk of value out of the legendary Mass Effect edition that I never got when I bought mine, my original trilogy, even though I have all the DLC now. But that DLC was good DLC. It was mm-hmm. stuff that enhanced the game. It was additional exactly. stories. Enhanced the game. Um, it, it would be the encore to the concert that is Mass Effect. Like, for example, there's a thing called Lyra the Shadow Broker, and the DLC reintroduces a character that wasn't in Mass Effect 2, as like a post game content of mass effect mm. two. So like for people that really liked that character in mass effect one, it's a good payoff for those people. I don't like the fact that they kind of hit her behind that DLC, but I don't think that was the intention. And I think intention is another factor in the DLC being good or bad. It was more like there was enough people that were like, Hey, where is this character in mass effect two? And why, why haven't I gotten to see them? So, so to close that gap, they're like, okay, well, Here's this DLC that explains where this character's been this whole time. And you have the opportunity, if, if your character romanced this character in the first game, you can rekindle that in the second game. So like people that really liked this character and the relationship with that character can now continue that story in the second game. So like that DLC is really good for that aspect of it, in my opinion, because it enhances the story, it continues the story from the first game, and it gave the fans something they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Microtransactions, I just don't like. Nope. <laughs> I, won't, like, oh. I don't forgive them. I just don't like them. And, I, and if you guys are curious, we've done this video kind of before in a different light. It was more like the history of DLC and microtransactions. So if you're curious about another video of us ranting and raving on DLC, <laughs> you can go to um, our, our Crowcast DLC microtransactions. It's one of our earlier ones too, I think. And we also did one where we, we just literally BS with Nerd Talk Dan about how much we don't like 
trans uh, microtransact division. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. That was the the title of our video, I think. We have 34 views. Come on, guys, let's bump this thing up. We got the horse armor DLC literally on the uh, the cover of that art there. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can find it. Micro Activision. There's a play on words. It was actually something one of the CEOs of Activision said at the time. Believe it or not. Yep. First one that pops up, you type that in. Micro Activision. Nice. <laughs> that's great. Love it. All right. Well. Anyways, that's a little delve back in time, a little throwback mm-hmm. Thursday on Friendly Friday for you. And uh, as always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And uh, we will see you on the next Quillcast. If, if you buy the DLC expansion for $2.99. <laughs> <laughs>
this game, this video is fantastic. If you're looking for 20 minutes about Nintendo controllers, this is the video for you. Were you going to pick a video too, Will? Were you picking this one? Yeah, I was picking this one, Chris. I'll go with a different controller video. Uh, click on the bongos one. Everyone needs to learn more about the bongos. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo and Weird Peripherals, the DK, DK bongos. Yes. I have four of them. Yep, these are awesome. I have four of them because for some reason Nintendo released the bongos for players for um, the DK uh, Kong games. But you can also <laughs> play DK Jungle Beat with these. That's a one-player game. Yeah. Yes. But they only released it with the game. So if you wanted four sets of bongos, you'd had to buy the game four times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine as a parent saying, I'm going to buy Donkey Kong four times. That's ridiculous, yes. Nobody's going to do that. <laughs> yep. But now that they're like bargain bin items at basically every retro gaming store, if you really want these, I'm sure you can find them, and I'm sure you're not going to pay that much. Nope. So. No, but I got mine for like oh, actually twenty bucks or two or something. Yeah, they're relatively easy to acquire nowadays. So if you want them, go get them. And if you want to know more about them, check out Ackerman. So yes, I'm hoping at least a few of you guys decide to subscribe, mm-hmm. um, and we can continue the spotlight Sunday to give some lesser known creators some a uh, little bit of views and a little bit of subscribers. That'd be nice. Yes. So. We don't have a community tab, so I can't just shout people out in the community tab. <laughs> Not yet. We're close. So, anyways, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, Ackerman, if you watch this video, love your content. Keep up the great mm-hmm. work. As always, I'm Chris. And I'm Will. And we will see you next Quillcast. Bye, guys. Oh.